Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. In our show today, we're going to resume our conversation about adoption therapy with my guest, Moses Farrell, an adoptions trauma educator and marriage and family therapist. Moses is a survivor of child abuse, adoption trauma, and suicide loss. He bridges his personal and professional experiences to raise awareness of the human rights and public health issues many adopted people have been facing. In our last episode, we discussed the unique perspective and identity of adopted people, the importance of raising awareness around the adoptive process, and some of the challenges around it, the need for safe spaces, and the importance of a trauma-informed perspective when addressing the adoptive community. And finally, we discussed the experience of disenfranchised grief around the loss of a life before adoption and infringement on the right to be able to grieve that loss. We're going to resume our talk today by discussing the importance of parents and communities to provide well-informed environments for adopted people. So there seems to be this pattern or this path, this journey, if you will, of coming to terms with that there is trauma involved with adoption. Yes. And for many of these people, they come into therapy feeling like there's something wrong with them because they're acting out, because they can't Mm -hmm. carry on in relationships, because it's too scary to attach because of the fear of rejection and further abandonment, that all of that is being processed subconsciously through the brain. And it's manifesting in behaviors Mm -hmm. as emotions, as diagnoses, or bipolar or borderline personality or anxiety. So we're able to see how the the trauma manifests. And for me, it almost is a misdiagnosis because we're treating these as separate diagnoses, depression, anxiety, ADHD, when in fact they could be symptomatic or symptoms of the trauma. Yeah. And just the ways that the body is trying to express, I'm struggling, I feel off, I feel something is not right, you know, something has happened to me. And that that's a very real thing. The general idea of adoption is this is a celebrated act, it's a celebrated yeah. event in your life that okay, you've come from a place of abuse, neglect, poverty, you know, which is a challenge because in many ways, these are myths. These are stereotypes. This is not always the case, but it's been generalized to be, this is the way adoption goes. Mm -hmm. And then it's like your life starts when you're adopted. It's like, okay, that's all in the past. We we acknowledge that, we recognize that, and maybe the adults in your life, maybe the adoptive parents, if you will, want to protect the child from this awful past and just, you know, move life forward. Right. Uh, right. But as we know in the trauma field, well, trauma has a way of, yeah. of showing up and yeah. saying, here I am, and we need to reconcile this, we need to resolve this, we need healing from what's been done to us. So as we think about this, there's two levels of, of trauma. Well, there's multiple levels of trauma, really, but, but there's the process of going through the adoption, right? Mm-hmm. There's the adoption process, which can be 
extremely traumatizing and really traumatizing for all people involved. And then there's the, the trauma of the relinquishment or the loss of your parent, of your family, of your culture, of your, yes. of your country. Your identity, yeah. In my case. And yeah, thank you for bringing it back to that, that it's really being disconnected from who you are, from your identity. Mm -hmm in multiple ways over mm -hmm. time. So it's almost like there, there's multiple levels of trauma. And we're starting to recognize that there's trauma that comes out of the foster care system because of all the placements or abuse of foster mm -hmm. homes and you know abuse that might happen in the post-adoption experiences with your adoptive placements and adoptive homes. So for me, coming into the, uh, these kind of conversations, I really want to spend a whole lot more time pre-adoption, you know, and, and really fully recognizing the full extent of, of where this trauma is coming from. Yeah. I, I really like that idea of, you know, we can always treat things at a surface level. We can, you know, diagnose something and say, we're going to provide some treatment around whatever the diagnostic criteria is it gets met, or we can, we can treat that. And that's important to do that. that that's, that's helpful for the person. But you're saying, what if we go down a wee bit deeper and we understand maybe where the epicenter of some of these things can be and where the origin of some of these things can be so that we can work at that level, whether it's the disenfranchised grief and recognizing and helping the person themselves recognize that they have a right to grieve. They have a need to grieve some of these things. I also think what you're saying is that the adopted person is saying, the adoptee saying, maybe I haven't recognized that there are some things that I'm dealing with that might be explained by or partly due to. So they're coming to terms with, you mean, this is this is the root or the cause of it, which is important. On the other side, and this is part of what you said earlier as we started today, you and I both represent different sides of this. You're, you were the adoptive child that went through what you went through, and I'm the adoptive parent, as I mentioned at the beginning of our, our show. And for me to think about there being trauma related to this, I don't know how open I was. Mm -hmm. And the fact that there could have been this, you know, in that process, going into it. And it's opened, I think, an opportunity to have another layer of discussions with my daughter who is adopted. She's 20 now. Yeah. And as I mentioned, she came into our lives when she was 11 months old. But there were some things that, you know, went on in her life early on, you know, the, the moratorium on the adoptions, the extended having to be in the, in the orphanage, which fortunately was a good enough environment for her to be in. They were, she was well cared for. She was assigned a caregiver. So there's some attachment, but nonetheless, there were, there were a couple of ruptures, you know, from her family, then from the caregiver that was with her before she even came in. So she had two layers mm -hmm. of attachment ruptures or attachment changes. And does that leave some things? Possibly so. And what's hard. And I was thinking about this earlier today before we came on the show, while I know we work very hard as a family to welcome her into our lives, she has a brother who's 10 years older. So he was 10 when she was 11 months and a seven-year older sister. Mm -hmm. And they are all three very close now. And they have a great relationship. They spend the summers together in and, and the, and the Midwest and kind of live together for periods of time. And, and mm -hmm. despite the closeness, we also get to recognize, but maybe there are still some things there mm -hmm. that knowingly or unknowingly get carried that we could address that could make what's good maybe even better 
or maybe better in a way where maybe some of those things that we hadn't recognized get a chance to be addressed and maybe work through so it's not carried in the same way. Mm-hmm. So I'm really appreciating the back and forth and some of the things you're kind of opening up here for us to see. Well, I, I, I appreciate that you're receiving it, that you're revisiting how things have unfolded for you and, and, and your family. And, and I think that that lends itself to, as you said, the opportunity to go back and recognize. And I think, you know, as, as a takeaway, as a parent, as a therapist, that so much of this is, is about our environments. Yeah. and how how well informed the people are in our environments so it's important to recognize in this conversation and hopefully as others in the field and and you know parents really anybody who's interested in this recognizes the importance of setting up a well-informed environment around all of us when you talk about the well-informed environment and creating that safe space for whatever needs to come up to come up. There's no rules here. There's no right things. There's, there's a space and however it needs to be filled in necessary ways. That's what you're inviting. But as you talk about that, what are some of the common questions that you find coming up in these spaces that get to be created? What are some of the common questions, maybe even about identity and connection? What do you see arising? Mm-hmm. So I kind of need to pause here because we're still seeing ways in which people come at this with their own personal attitudes or their own personal biases or you know sense of what what adoption is so questions that have been kicked around for so long is who are your real parents mm-hmm. you know where are you from mm-hmm. i mean these kinds of questions still get triggered mm-hmm. for us because and this is this is the way I'm going to take this is because we haven't really settled on a language or a vocabulary, and so how do you mean? So no, the, haven't settled on the language or vocabulary. Yeah. Say more about that. Yeah. So, real parents has been a long time trigger for adopt people when they're asked. So, those can't be your real parents. Who are your right. real parents? Right. Right. Uh, well, what does real mean? So. On one hand, part of what you've touched on is as you grow up as a child or you know, previous decades, you grow up not addressing any of these things, mm-hmm. you know, not knowing how to answer these kind of questions of the basics of who are you, you know, where are you from and where'd you grow up? So you questions know? like maybe, you know, well, why why did your adoption have to happen or what is your heritage or you know, who are your real parents? Well, these these are not uncommon. They're to not be asked. So, but it hasn't really been been out there enough mm-hmm. for people to know. Oh, that's actually a triggering kind of question. That's a loaded right. question, right. Uh, and in many cases, an offensive one, because it's already digging into personal space, personal information. Mm. You know, beyond beyond. Hey, how are you? And you know, hey, I, I, I'd be good to know you more. So, I want to address that. The language piece is really important because we're all very sensitive around language and, and the way we phrase things yeah. and the use of the words. And where, where we're kind of settling as a community, as like an adoption community, is we just want to be heard the way we tell our stories. We want to be heard with the terms that we use, the language that we use. So don't apply you know, social, socially constructed mm-hmm. ideas when I, when I mention say words like birth mother 
or adoptive parent or adopter. You know, this is the way that I'm constructing, right? My so appreciating appreciating the language that? that you bring to it that's yours uniquely, that we get to have the space for to understand and listen to. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Behavioral and mental health professionals provide critical support to our communities in a time when our communities need it more than ever. But they need support too, to continue their education, to connect with colleagues, and to advance their career. And so we've launched Triad, the hub for behavioral and mental health professionals. At Triad, you'll find education, community, and career resources for both current and aspiring behavioral and mental health professionals, all curated specifically for you and all for free. Visit us at hellotriad.com slash BHT to register for your free professional account. Again, that's hellotriad.com slash BHT. Come join the community today. Say a little bit more about the language. I, I want, I'm really curious about this. So we've seen over the last couple of decades or so a shift. So you've mentioned child, for example, right? I, I was an adopted child, right? you know, but it's important to recognize, uh, well, at this point, I'm not a child, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm, I am adopted. I, I was adopted. Mm -hmm. Just even in that little subtlety of I was versus I am, I am an adoptee or I was adopted. Mm -hmm. And it places it in two different contexts of this is part of who I am or this is what's happened to me. Mm. And the difference is we like to say you are not your trauma, right? Don't identify solely with your trauma versus trauma is something that has happened to you. Yeah, it's part of who I am. Right? So, so in that way, just cognitively, placing it in those two very, very different realms. Yes. Yes. So that little subtlety of use of language and the way we phrase things, how we then take that into our minds when we say, I was abandoned, mm -hmm. right? I was relinquished. When in fact, as we go through and as we kind of dive into this deeper, part of that fear that a lot of adoptive parents have about, I want to go find my my real parents, right? I want to go find my my family of origin. Mm -hmm. Again, however, I want to make sense of this for myself. Mm -hmm. My birth family, my birth country, birth family, you know, birth country searches, birth family reunions has been kind of the mainstay way that we talk about, yeah, I want to go find who will find out who I am, you know, where I came from. The fear behind that is we've seen enough evidence of you start here, and this is also similar to, you know, parallel to the, the therapy process. You start here yeah. and then you end up all the way over here. Mm -hmm. And you realize the journey just takes you in all different kinds of directions yeah. and you learn all different kinds of things. So, so here's my adoption story. I was found in the phone booth as an infant wrapped in a blanket to quite possibly I was abducted. Mm. Right? So that's very different than saying I was abandoned right. and I was left in a place to fend for myself as an infant versus somebody might have taken me and placed me there. You know, I have no idea what the context is. And so just to take a little tangent, without that concrete information, mm -hmm. 
as we know children do, they fill in the gaps, right? Or maybe not just children, but the way the brain does, it fills sure. in the gaps. So we play on all these kind of fantasies, right? And we say, well, this is something we have control over is the way we want to tell our story, is the way we play, you know, put it together for me. So for, for me, it was my parents are dead, you know, and back in Korea, what, which is I have, I have no recollection of, and this is my new family. And so I'm, I'm totally, you know, sold into this idea that this is my family and this is my life now. That's the black and white thinking that children do, right? The all or nothing, this has to be done and, you know, in order to get the next thing. But now, you know, thankfully, talking with other people and, and sharing stories, uh, it's come into perspective that I don't know my, my actual circumstances. So the concrete evidence for me is I, I have cerebral palsy. I, I know... 90%, 95% of cases, the CP develops during the birthing process or, you know, occurs during the birthing process. So I have some idea about that particular moment in time mm -hmm. as I was coming into the world. But beyond that, it really could be any kind of fantasy. And with documentaries like One Child Nation, where they interviewed multiple people from multiple systems indicating that, yeah, we just made up where we found you. We just made up your name. We made up your documents. And in, in, in a film by Diane Liam Borche, she actually found out that she was switched. Like her records were switched with another girl. These kind of fabrications take you from, here's my adoption story, mm -hmm. as it's been told to me, to here's what's actually happened. And then finding out all these things along the way. So when you're sitting with a child or a client or a, an adopted person in, in your office and you start off, okay, we're here because you're struggling with your job and you're not able to sleep well and you know, relationships are, have been really bad and or abusive. Well, let's put all that together and maybe because I do have a little bit more awareness or or interest or whatever it might be, let's dive into where that came from and apply the adoption perspective. When you frame it that way, you're talking about we 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 have an opportunity to make sense of things and in ways that maybe we hadn't thought could be a part of the work. If we're talking about relationship challenges or work-related difficulties or sleep, we could stay at a surface level and talk about ways to cope and communication strategies and problem solving and decision-making. We could do all those things, sleep aids, or we could go down a little bit different, you know, a little bit deeper and say, maybe we can make some sense of some things at a little bit deeper level. And in the process of making some sense, you said that there are some pretty common things that, that might come up. Does the adopted person want to find their parents. They're asking questions like, who am I? They're asking, who, who am I culturally? Again, that identity piece. How do you help facilitate some of those conversations when these types of things, in the process of trying to make sense of things, how do you facilitate finding parents and deepening a sense of who am I, cultural identity, even maybe if the family's going to be involved with that process? How are you encouraging that? Well, I would say, Graham, it's opening up the conversation to begin with, you know, 
we don't have a playbook exactly about this yet. No, I mean, we don't have a playbook on parenting. And the adaptive experience is ever expanding as well. Mm -hmm. And every situation is different. There's, you know, commonalities, but differences. But certainly cultural awareness is important. And you're getting me to think about, well, we wanted to adopt a child at least of the same race or, you know, from the same country that we came from. So at least we don't have to deal with that. And and it's like, it's not that clean cut. It's not that clear cut either. It, that there's still subtle differences in the experience. So at the very yeah. least, let's start, as we are doing here, creating the space to open up these conversations. And it starts with having the wherewithal, having the awareness, being well-informed, being sensitive to that, okay, these are conversations that we are going to have to have. Mm-hmm. And how, how to do it is so much more important than what questions to ask because of those subtleties in language and, and creating the narrative, right? Or recreating the narrative, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so, so this is where the takeaways, like to really concretize this, it, is this is an attitudinal paradigm shift, you know, that I, I, I'm thinking about the doctors and nurses on maternity wards. For example, maternity wings. I don't know if we call them wards, and you know, in in those conversations about well, there's always adoption, right? Do you plan on keeping your baby, or you know, maybe you want to adopt? Just even that little subtle hint or suggestion tells them that oh, this is where this person is coming from. This is where this nurse has been either trained or just personally their own attitude. Same thing with a doctor, that, oh, we've all been conditioned, if you will, to thinking that adoption is an option, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But what I want to take a deep dive into about this point is that subtle suggestion creates a cascade effect in the biochemistry between the mother and the child that she's carrying. Yeah. And I think that's the piece that maybe isn't as full. I mean, you even talked in, our, in part one of this about the research that there is a biological change in a process that gets that gets set into motion. And I think there's probably two levels. One is being aware that that has taken place and that can lead to, like you suggested, you know, deep-seated feelings of being lost or fears of rejection and these kinds of things that can be common commonly experienced depression, anxiety, all those things that, that, that understandably from the trauma piece of this are at risk for being experienced. At the same time, in acknowledging that, I also know that there are other questions that come up within the space that you create from the family, from the child, a young adult or older adult themselves of, again, trying to make sense of things. Who are my parents? Who am I? My identity deepening those things. And I, I think in that space, there are some really healing opportunities that can occur, aren't there? There's great potential for healing. And the first few steps, though, is doing that awareness check for yourself, you know, building your own self-awareness of how am I approaching adoption? How am I thinking right. about it? You know, so that's a very important step. Another uh, another step is getting more informed. So a lot of a lot of our conversation has been around just here are some examples. Here's the extent of, of the experience. 
-hmm. the importance of both empathy and perspective taking. It's the cornerstone of every conversation that that I have is it's not about where you're coming from. It's about where they're coming from. Yeah. I think those are, you know, I want to highlight those. I think being on the adopting side, you want to think that you're doing good things. You think that it's, you know, something that you have an opportunity to to bring and, and give someone a life that maybe they don't have an opportunity to in their country and their family. And so you're you're thinking in these, I think, really good ways. But when we start talking about these things, I think there's a need to hold what your intentions were in the adoptive process as adoptive parents, speaking to the parents now, but also being open to how open am I to listen to the harder parts of maybe some of my child's experience that I hadn't even factored in before Mm -hmm. that really have nothing to do with me as an adoptive parent, but are part of my child's life and a part of our family that maybe we haven't scratched the surface on yet and haven't taken a look at, if it's there, Mm -hmm. it's gonna be there to some degree. And to be open, empathic, non-judging, accepting that space you're talking about. I also think that there's something worthwhile. I think my, I can't remember if it was something that I read, but you're drawing my memory right now. Something maybe you had written, but having the parents take a look at what's their own trauma history. What's at play here too, you know, and what might be parallel process here or being acted out unconsciously. So I think all these pieces are parts of what can fill that space. Absolutely. So so in a way, we're looking at, or what you just brought up is generational trauma. Yeah. And in, in cases of transracial adoption, there's racial trauma, racial identity trauma. There's internalized racism that many transracial adopted people experience because yeah. they don't look like their family members. They don't look like the people in their community. They don't want to be different. So there's certainly attachment trauma. There's trauma of being someone say in my case and, and, and a few of my siblings uh, from war-torn countries, you know, in, in the aftermath of war and dealing with that kind of like environmental mm-hmm. trauma of, you know, of just, wow, yeah, we've been through this really awful natural disaster or conflict. So putting all these layers of trauma together as you're looking at, uh, you know, again, whether it's a child who who's acting out, not going to school, and and mm-hmm. and and not obeying their parents, you know, with what they you know, do, your homework or do your chores, or you know, these kinds of seemingly simple things that are manifesting through the expression of trauma, and not yeah. through just oppositional behavior. Right, right. It's so easy to kind of get caught up in. The- in the things around the surface and to judge them and uh, preemptively and unnecessarily that does even more damage. I think it, you know, blames the victim kind of catch a cliche-ish phrase and not okay. I, you and I could keep talking for a long time around this and I appreciate, you know, where we get to go in this conversation together, but I know we got to begin to kind of wind down a little bit here. I want to talk about some resources in just a moment, but I also want to highlight a movement that you've got. It's truth is louder. Can you say a few words about that for us, Moses? Yeah, no, thank you for asking about this. So so this is something I, I, I've started to say over this last year. And Truth is Ladder had the initial intent about saving adopted lives mm-hmm. and highlighting that there's 
an increase in suicidality among adopted people. So there's a study from, well, actually two studies, one was done in Sweden, one in the US, that really put it on the map that young adopted people are four times more likely to attempt suicide. And then with that, there doesn't seem to be much other research around. So I've extrapolated that I, I've applied the ACEs study and having four or more adverse childhood experiences increases your suicide risk of 1,220%. And then coming out of the research from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, they are awesome at putting out annual numbers yeah. of completed suicides as well as suicide attempts. And the, the number of attempts from 2019, 1.9 million. So suicide is really at a crisis level in the adoption community. Mm. I kind of want to make a point that as a community or really as a, a sector of the population or as a, as a class of people at this point, because there's like 7 million of us in the US. So overall, just millions of us around the world with that kind of increase. And then we have other marginalized communities like LGBT, where they've done their research that LGBT youth are around five times more likely to attempt suicide. So there's just a whole lot of vulnerability just around the feelings of, I don't want to live anymore. I can't stand the pain anymore. I don't know where this is coming from. Right. So I really appreciate the work of QPR that that is about normalizing these conversations and suicide as a whole. Really good. So hashtag truth is louder. Give us also some resources, Moses, for folks that are interested in maybe finding out more about you and what you're doing. How can they best contact you? Sure. So I'm I'm on social media and quite active on Instagram as Adoption Trauma and um, My Truth is Louder on Instagram. On Facebook, I have a Surviving Adoption Trauma Facebook group. People are welcome to join, people who are interested, people who are directly impacted by adoption. And um, I'm also on Twitter. I have websites, MosesFarrow.com as well as uh, transformadoption.com, as well as truthisladder.org. So people can can reach out to me on any of those platforms. You can email me, moses at mosesfarrow.com. Very easy to remember, so. Very good, very good. Those are some great contact things. You know, as we speak as mental health practitioners psychologically, I think there is a lot of hope in the conversations that we're having today. I think what you're encouraging us to do is to understand that there's a deeper level of understanding that we can have that can bring us into a space and create a space for that deeper understanding to emerge. And, you know, unfortunately for both the adopted child and the family, the experience of most traumas in a child's life typically, you know, occur in the context of human relationships. But however, psychologically, we know that while relationships can be damaging, we also know that healthy relationships can also be curative and corrective. And that's where a healthy parental unit, family, connection with peers that are also adoptees, and as well as working with mental health practitioners like yourself, can really be of great help. And I think there's real hope in that. And while not all adoptees experience some of the adoption traumas that some may on the continuum, some have some very, very, very painful histories around that. Not all do, but many do. And I think what I so appreciate about our time is your efforts, Moses, to provide education 
about what the adoption process can involve for some that we may not even be aware of or open to or know how to create a space for, as well as this paradigm shift that you're encouraging for us to have a more kind of a deeper understanding of the adoptive experience, such that we can replace maybe some of these myths of adoption and uncovering some of the truths necessary to address some of these adoptive needs. So I so appreciate our time. I mean, that's very sincerely and appreciate you coming on and just your candor, your honesty, your, your, your transparency with us. So thank you so much for being on our show. Well, it, it, if I may, I want to reciprocate that and just being able to have this space, you know, come on, come on to your podcast and have this kind of conversation because this is really where it's at. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for so many people, we can certainly take a deeper dive into so many of these things, like, like you said, but I think these are the kind of conversations that are just important to have foundationally. Yeah. And if I may, just real quick, you yeah. know, to, to do this kind of deeper dive into the truth is louder is really about providing that context. And I think that's what I think both of us are, are, are coming away with is understanding that as we expand on becoming trauma-informed, how important it is to include adoption and all the, all the ways that adoption is, is occurring, has occurred in that, that we need to become adoption trauma-informed and, and, and recognize that it is an environmental task that that we're responsible to to build for these people, for, for the children as well as the adults and, and everyone who's on that spectrum of the adopted experience. I think that would be very worthwhile. I was you know, thinking about coming back into our time today and just the experience of it now as I reflect on our, on our two parts of this series. My hope is that, and my experience of is with you is that we've created kind of a space that ideally maybe we've been modeling for those listening that they could create as well, where some of the things get to come up and there's a safe space for it. Mm-hmm. And I think we did an okay job. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did. It'll be great to hear from your listeners. It'd be great to hear from your listeners if if they feel that this could be a model. Yeah. I think the openness around it, the curiosity around it, and uh, the empathic attunement just to be open to what this space gets to be filled with. So thank you again. It's been great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. It's been great. Been my pleasure. Also want to thank you, our listeners, for joining Moses and me today. It's always great to have you with us. Regarding this episode, I want to remind you that it and all of its resources are going to be available and found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT. So if you would check out our webpage, triadhq.com slash BHT and explore our archive of podcasts and resource materials. Well, thank you again for being with us on the show, and we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavioral Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.